I'm Piercy Janwell, and you're listening to Unsubscribed. Every episode, I sit down with business leaders to help you question everything you thought you knew about marketing. If you enjoy this show, please do subscribe and leave a review on YouTube or your favorite podcast player. Now, on to this week's episode. So today on the podcast, we've got Grant Gregorian. He's a seasoned freelance B2B marketing analytics consultant. And prior to that, he is running his own startup called Path to Scale, which was then acquired by Engageo. Um, after spending two years at Engageo, he's back out on his own again. And he's really a B2B marketing guru, has spent time both on the client and consulting side, and successfully built and sold his own company. So Grant, we're super excited to have you on the podcast today and and really to learn more about all that. Yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me. I'm excited too. Awesome. So I know um, you grew up in, in Colorado, right? Uh, almost. I went to school in Colorado, so I, I came here for college. Okay, nice. And how was that? Like, what what drew you to to staying in Colorado? I uh, met a girl in college. Oh, she was from cool. Colorado, and so uh, yeah, and I fell in love with it. You know, it's a great uh, light. You know, like you can go hiking. I'm not a big skiing person, which is what a lot of people. Um, are disappointed to learn about me because I'm wasting space here in Colorado by not skiing. (laughs) But I do enjoy hiking and um, hanging out and the weather is great and my family's here. My mom's here. My wife's family are all here. And so we just kind of uh, fell in love with it and stayed. Cool. Nice. Um, So I know that you had, you know, a couple of client-side jobs when you started your career what what was it that kind of made you take the decision of starting your own business i did i i I used to be a marketing ops person basically um at a tech company here in colorado that's how i got to know about marketo and salesforce i'd never heard of those things prior to that because my training was all about i was a math major and I did a lot of data analysis type jobs prior to that, and uh, and I and I I have to say I I, uh, I fell in love uh, with the sales and marketing data. <laughs> it's kind of silly to say that, but it's true. So I before that I used to I used to do a lot of economics research. So I worked with an economics shop that was like attached to the business school here. And I, I, I traveled a bunch with you doing that. For example, one of my assignments was go to Kingston, Jamaica uh, and collect data about the economy. Like I went to the Statistical Institute. I went to the Ministry of Finance or whatever it, it was with the thumb drive collecting import-export data to build an econom- econometric model to analyze some stuff for this project. So anyway, it was like a lot of that. And after that, I did... Um, insurance data set. So I worked for an insurance brokerage company, really big one, where we, again, collecting data about health claims, death claims from companies. And here the model was all about plug in the data to get 
to analyze risk of a company to calculate right. insurance premium. And then I was like, nah, it's all like grown up, boring stuff. It's like, I have to sit in a cubicle. I have to wear pants to go to work. Like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> so I want to do tech stuff. So I got a job at a tech company and, um, and I immediately fell in love because I'd never seen what sales and marketing data set looks like. And the CMO at this company was very metrics driven. He was like, here's an Excel spreadsheet. You know, but our board, it was a VC tech company. So it was like our board, you know, decided that we're going to make $10 million this year. And so therefore we need this many ops because this is the close rate. And he like, you know, he did kind of reverse waterfall sort of thing. It's like 10 years ago. And I was like, what? I'd never seen a model for sales and marketing. This is like, it doesn't just randomly happen. That's crazy. And so, um, I really caught the bug then and then went on this like long journey because I was like, well, where do the numbers come from? Oh, there is a CRM system. You know, what's feeding that? Oh, there is a marketing automation system. And, uh, and I've been, I've been on that. Basically him giving me the challenge to like maintain this model and to give him accurate uh, early indicators of whether we're going to miss the number or we're going to succeed and what's working, what's not working. I'm still trying to uh, fulfill that <laughs> that request, like that first assignment that I was given in that new job. Ten years later, I'm like s- still trying to finish it because <laughs> <laughs> it's been so hard. So, so I, I've tried, you know. So I did it in house, and then I was very curious about how do other companies approach this? How do they do it? And so that made me start reaching out and talking to kind of peers in other companies. And very quickly, I realized that I could make more money um, being a consultant. Um, And so I started doing that very quickly, being independent. And that ultimately led me to then uh, make my own company uh, and so forth. So so the reason I did it is really for the money (laughs) and uh, at the time. And uh, but ultimately, it was because I, I was super, super curious about how other people were approaching the problem and being independent and having the freedom to talk to many people was what allowed me to do that. Nice. And what, what do you think it was about data in particular that really attracted you to it? Like, were you always like that kind of growing up as a kid, you know, were, were numbers just some I don't, part of you or, or did this happen? through, you know, college? I wasn't really that good at math. I learned that when I was a math major in college. Because, like, I remember I actually went to some graduate classes in college, too. And one of the graduate classes, there was a kid sitting next to me who was from the local high school. And I immediately realized that I was not good at math because this kid was rocking this graduate college course. (laughs) And I had no idea what was going on in class. And um, so I was not one of those kids. I think what drew me to it was that growing up, I always felt like grownups had it together. I was like, oh, when I grow up, like, I'll understand how the world works. And like, it will be, it will be somehow rational and organized and thought, thought out and uh and i think i was very disappointed <laughs> <laughs> yeah. after, 
after I graduated college and first my first few jobs, I was like, what? This is how grown-ups are running things? This is crazy. How is there not mass chaos everywhere? And, uh, and so I really did feel that way. And so I felt like uh, we should be, as a society, like we have so much information, like we've learned so much, and yet we continue to make impulsive and kind of uh, lazy decisions. And um, it really bugged me. It really bugged me that we are this lazy. And uh, I myself was lazy too, and I continue to be. And so I, I, I'm really concerned with this idea of we have all this data, we have all the ways to analyze it and measure it and da 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 but it takes so much effort to actually then be a more to be a better decision maker using the data yeah. and uh, and that's that's really the kind of the central battle that I've been fighting for the last my whole like professional career so far is how to do that translation yeah i i find that's one of the hardest parts right even once you get all the data it's accurate, it's clean, you get it in a model. People still sometimes reject the data because it's different from what they've always thought things. Yeah. Yeah, of course, we say that while we're in the middle of a global pandemic with all kinds of data about it (laughs) and all sorts of people who choose to entirely ignore it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so even when it's like that obvious and or like, you know, it's it's that uh, directly like screaming at you. It's like, hey, you know, wear a mask or whatever. Even then, it doesn't even have to be multi-touch attribution results. It right. could just be, hey, 100,000 people died. You know, maybe we should like try something else or whatever. Uh, even then, we continue to not want to change our behavior. Yeah, habits are very hard to break totally. sometimes. So, so you were doing, um, you know, you were client side. You went out on your own consulting. You started making more money. Bring me back to that moment where you decided to start your own company. Like, were you scared? Like, did you already know a bunch of people that you knew you could get business from? Did you have customers? How did you make that leap to go out on your own? Yeah, so I, uh, so it was twofold. One was that I, uh, in trying to solve this problem of like, how can marketing, how can I empower my CMO to make better decisions? I, uh, you know, I got very technical with it and I learned a lot a lot about the CRM, the Salesforce tools and the existing solutions in the marketplace. And I felt like there was a big opening because there were no good solutions for what I was trying to accomplish. And so it immediately sparked this like, ooh, maybe, I don't know, maybe maybe I could find a solution myself. Um, but I was really, I didn't have anybody in my life, in my immediate life, because I'm just like this person in Colorado. I didn't know any tech founders i didn't know how to do that necessarily and it took many years i would say of self-doubt and that was the biggest obstacle was me it was just me being like you're not a guy who starts a 
tech company. Do you know what I mean? Like, who do you think you are? Like all this like negative self-talk was really real for me. I mean, we hear about, I hear that other people have it as well, but I was, um, I think that was the toughest part to overcome. And thankfully here in Colorado, um, there is a very inclusive tech community and uh, they have meetups and they have startup weekends and all sorts of stuff that I participated in very early on uh, because I was just intrigued. And, um, and that let me see like, oh, this guy, he doesn't seem any smarter than me, but this guy, he's like the CEO of, uh, you know, he's hired thousands of people <laughs> and uh, he started this company and uh, it's, it's like working out for him and he's like a dad and maybe I could do that. And once I started meeting more and more people like that, I was like, okay, maybe I can give myself permission to, to start something, um, to try it. And, um, and so it was like, it was those two things. It was a combination of slowly overcoming the, the self-doubt together with the actual technical solution in front of my eyes. I was like, oh, maybe we could solve it like this. And I would do it as a consultant, you know, in Excel for people. And they were like, yeah, this is pretty much what I was looking for. I was like, well, what if I did this automatically for you every month? Would you still pay me? And they're like, yeah, you would still give me the reports, right? And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just, I'm just gonna do it for you directly in Salesforce. Uh, they're like, oh, it's even better. Let's do that. And so a bunch of consulting clients kind of like, I kind of did a judo move where I sent them a new agreement, but it was a SaaS agreement and not a uh, consulting agreement. And the pricing was the same or lower than what they were paying me. And so they became my first customers. Oh, that's awesome, man. And we've been talking to a few people now who have started consulting and then that transitioned into products at some point. I mean, I did the same thing with, you know, we're making all these Mercado templates and it was so much work every time. And we started from ground zero every time and it took forever. And that's really was the the idea for NAC. Um, But it's interesting to hear from you as well that it, it was a very similar path that you took um just to, for efficiency as well for you yeah i mean i feel like um being a consultant is almost like being a product manager sometimes you can pretend like you're cuz you get to ask your customers about their problems right about what they're worried about what's broken you get to see the existing solutions and become an expert in it and uh, it's a, it's kind of a, a little bit of um, if you have the right outlook, um, and you're paying attention and asking the right questions, it's a great discovery tool for building totally. new products. Totally, yeah, because you're you're realizing the trends across different customers, mm-hmm. figuring out you know where they have the biggest issues and what. What could be a repeatable solution? Yeah, and there is also the other aspect to it, which is exchange of money. So you could you could pick an industry, pick a problem, and go call people and take them out to lunch and learn more about this 
and then try to build a solution for it. But you're not, they have no skin in the game. Right. Right. Whereas if you're a consultant, you can say, oh, you do have this problem. Okay. Well, I can solve it for you. How about, (laughs) here's my hourly rate. And if they say, yes, go solve this for this much money. And you're like, holy cow. Okay. Now we've got something to work with here. (laughs) Yeah. That, that definitely erases any uh, self doubt that you might have. Yeah. Um, So, so, you know, you built this product, you started to get more customers and then Engageo approached you? How did that all happen? Um, So the way that it happened for me was that I was not looking for an acquisition. I was just looking to... So the way I was doing it is I did not raise money. I just wanted to uh, bootstrap it, at least to start. And it got to the point where we had enough customers and enough kind of like activity that it was becoming really hard to keep it bootstrapped. I really needed a solid team of people to make the solution better, to serve the customers better and to really go to the next level. How many people people were you at that point? It was, so nobody was a full-time employee. Everybody was working just as a contractor. So I was working full-time on it. Uh, We had another person who was full-time on it, who was a full-time contractor. And then maybe like four other people who were contractors in various degree. So it was like a less than 10 people. And, um, and so it was like, okay, well now we need to either double down on this thing. Like, where is this thing going? You know? So, so do you talk to investors? Do you like, what do you, what happens here? How do I get a boost? And so, I uh, started exploring, like, how could I do this? And my natural inclination was to go to a partner route, actually. I thought that maybe we could find a partner who also is interested in solving this problem, um, and we could help them, and they could help us. They could help us by introducing us to other customers, by having some of their team uh, help us, and we could help them by bringing this technology to them. So that was my, cause I didn't, I really didn't want to raise money. I don't know why I just, we can, we can talk about that, but <laughs> I just didn't, I just didn't want to do it. And, um, I didn't waste any money even trying. I just, or any, any time. And so, um, but one of the features of Colorado, uh, tech community. So when I was first getting into it and learning about it, one of the key values that they espouse here that I haven't heard in other places is this idea of give first. And the idea of give first is that this is going to be a community of people who are helpful to each other, who don't expect things back, who, who pass it forward. Okay. And so I really took it to heart and I was like, okay, I'm going to be, I'm going to do that first. I'm going to give first. And then I'm going to trust that the universe will repay me somehow. You never know how you may it usually repays in a way that is beyond your imagination sometimes. And so I, uh, what I was doing is I was just pursuing what I'm interested in. So I, while I had this startup, I also, um, would help a lot of people get jobs. 
in mops space um just because i was interested in that um, i would i love introducing people to other people and so i continued doing that um not as a recruiter just for fun just to pass it forward because it's helpful um the other thing i was doing is i was um i started a podcast um that you were a guest on <laughs> many years ago a very geeky niche podcast just to talk to my friends because i like talking about mops stuff and um i really enjoyed it and uh i met the person at engageo through the podcast um just i met him for the first time then as a guest and then um later on we bought a booth at the marketo summit uh for you know to advertise our solution and he was also at the summit and so he was like hey i've never seen you in person you know come we have free food here at engageo <laughs> and so i went to their like free food area because i was hungry and i had free food and engageo was like hey like you know thanks for having me on the podcast um i don't even know what you do like what your company does and after i explained it they were like oh wow this would be a really great um addition to our platform we've been thinking about an attribution feature let's learn more and that's it that's how it happened so it was like um me looking for a partner to help boost me up and it just happened that through pursuing just my interest and people in this industry i accidentally met one who was on the same boat and it, and then um there was another company i was talking to simultaneously about a different partnership agreement um a very fascinating contract really and so it was like between acquis total acquisition with engageo cuz engageo was like forget partnerships just come over <laughs> uh all in or nothing right. and this other company was like can i tell you about this other deal cuz i'm pretty proud of it it yeah. didn't happen but we signed it but then it got canceled because of the acquisition okay i'm not going to name the vendor but this is a big martech vendor they have thousands of customers all around the world and they said hey uh customers spend money with us and they really want to know how much they gotten back and every time we tell them they renew even more even bigger so right. our ROI on solving this question is huge so what we would like to do is we would like to take your technology and distribute it to all of our customers uh and we'll use our sales team to do it and we'll upsell you get to keep your name we don't take any equity you you just get to expand your customer base because for us it's worth it because they'll renew even better so they were going to pay you for essentially implementing in every one of their customers yeah wow. and they were going to do it with their team and they were going to pay us up front to make the solution ready to make it happen Oh that's pretty cool too. It was really tough and but it was but it was really risky because it's like well what if what if the customers don't want it what if they da da it wasn't you know it wasn't like a and then on the other hand engageo is like let's do a full on acquisition and you'll grow with us we already have you know millions of dollars of vc money we're a rocket ship we're going right so and you are right in line with where we want to go so come join 
and it was really tough. And um, ultimately, I decided to do the acquisition bit. Um, mostly, be, I think it was because I really wanted to learn about the team at Engage You. I really, I really admired them because they had made Marketo, and I loved Marketo, and I used it for so much. And so I was like, okay, where am I going to learn the most? I guess. And um, and I really did. It was really, it was a really fun two year uh, stint. That's awesome. At Engage You. So, so describe. You know, I'm sure every founder. Uh, dreams about the day that they saw their company, hopefully in a you know in a in an ideal acquisition like that, where the partner who's buying you is someone that you you know admire. Like, just describe the feeling that you had when that actually happened. I mean, it was honestly, it was very surreal. It was very. Um... It was very uh, unexpected. It happened very quickly. I wasn't like, it wasn't like I, at the beginning of that year, I was like, goal number one, get acquired by your, <laughs> you know, a person you've never met who you admire a lot. It's like me making those saying, you know, it's like, it, like the equivalent for people. It's like, it would be like, get acquired by Elon Musk, Check. <laughs> you know, and, um, so it was, uh, it would, I mean, it felt great, but it was also very, uh, I had very, I wanted to make sure that I did, uh, that I upheld my end of the bargain as well. So I, I want, like, immediately my thoughts went to, oh, like, I need to make sure that this is a successful acquisition because what I don't want is uh, a team, a group of people like this who are, you know, influential in MarTech and who, who I admire for them to buy this thing and then have buyer's remorse. That would be like the worst thing in the world. <laughs> it would be worse than getting acquired. And so my brain did not let me celebrate very much. It's because I don't know why I just don't let myself do that. So I, I celebrated for like a tiny, tiny bit. You know, I was like, yes, okay, next milestone. But then very quickly turned into oh shit i have to like do all this work now yeah, to yeah. Make, so I, I didn't it I, the feeling didn't last very long it turned into a fear very quickly <laughs> and then i and then i was basically focused on making it a success nice and how, how did it go at engage so you get acquired you start working there yeah, so I start working um, for the first time like on a product team because I've never done officially full-time product role. Um, they, were, they told me that apparently what I've been doing prior to that would be considered product, <laughs> but I didn't, re I didn't know that's what people did. Uh, so I had to learn, I did learn a lot about what is it like to be a product manager, uh, to, have, to talk to customers, not as a consultant, but as a product person specifically um that was really helpful and it went it went really well i mean with engageo they were able to just grow the number of customers who are on the solution and uh, they were able to make the solution way better uh with all of their feedback and i think a big component of the solution that was missing was this idea of abm and having account-centric views of things Brilliant. so um 
that's why we joined them because I was like, oh, this would be like a really good rounded solution if it was attribution and it was account based and it was cared about personas and buying groups and all this sort of stuff. So it was a really fun to have the freedom to not have to worry about like, oh, I need to collect money from this customer or, you know, all that kind of stuff that you do as a founder to just focus on just solving the product issues for just, just think about product for two years. It was like luxurious. I'd mm -hmm. never experienced anything like that before where you just get to geek out with customers about what's the best way to make this product work. It was awesome. And so, you know, you, you brought your product to engage you and did you just like hand it off to their engineering team and you were on the product side or did you still have some well, I mean, the, the product was built by my co-founder, my technical co-founder, and it was built in Apex language. It was a Salesforce yeah. app through and through. And so when we got to Engageo, it was actually pretty tough because their product is not in Apex. It's, you know, it's like a different language. So there was a lot of, the, dif the most difficult part was bridging that gap, was like, how do we take this one app that's built for an entirely different platform and plug it into this other one. So on the one hand, it made it easy because they're integrated through Salesforce mm -hmm. and you, you didn't really have to mesh the code. They kind of kept it as a separate uh, feature. Uh, but on the other hand, culturally and in terms of how it was built and everything else, it was very different because those guys are like, Silicon Valley VC, we build a platform, you know, like that kind of mentality. Whereas I was like scrappy, you know, bootstrapped, like build it because customers really asked for it and are willing to pay for it. Whereas their mentality was a lot of, a lot more of like, let's pre, like we have the freedom to build things first, then ship. Right. Um, and uh, I don't know. So there was, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of um, back and forth between expertise about the different platforms, about how to bridge that gap better. And uh, it was not easy. It took, I would say it took the first year of being there just to make the product gel so that it works great, integrated together. Not like it works. <laughs> it worked from like basically day one, it worked kind of, if you kind of closed your eyes a little bit. But it, but a year to really make it gel, and then the second year to make something new with it. Right. To come right. out with new features that never existed that you can really claim to be a category leader. Um, cool. So, so that it took a, it took much longer than I anticipated. And I mean, just for anyone who doesn't know, Engageo is, uh, is an account-based marketing platform uh, that was started. By John Miller, uh, John Miller, who uh, was also a co-founder of Marketo. Um, definitely someone that I also really look up to and respect. I, I'm curious to hear from you, Grant, what it was like uh, working with John and what do you think it is about him that makes him so successful? Um, it was really fun to work with John. Um, I, I'll admit, like, um, he is a 
person who, because I think he knows so much of the details of the technologies, um, and he's really detail-oriented leader, um, you cannot, you, you, you can't like bullshit your way through a conversation with John Miller. <laughs> and so he, he really get, he really wants to get to the, to the bottom of it, to the root cause right away. That's the first thing we're going to talk about. Not, we're not going to circle around issues. We're just going to go head on directly address problems and we're just going to go down the list. And so there is an aspect of him, which I uh, wasn't surprised by, but it kind of confirmed, you know, what, you know, there is a, there's kind of a confidence and kind of an aggressiveness about solving problems that I was like, oh, this is so typically like Silicon Valley. It's got to be. It was not culturally Colorado at all. Like in Colorado, it would have been like, hey, let's go on a hike and like, you know, talk about other things first. It's like, no, no, no. Here it's like, boom, let's, let's get down to business right away. And uh, there was also a a great deal of impatience that I sensed uh, where Mm -hmm. he just, I I felt like he just wanted more things to be done quicker and better. And and so this, he just exuded this like uh, pressure, I would say on the whole company to, to perform, to, to do better, to do faster, to, which I suspect comes from, you know, just, he's also carrying a lot of weight on his shoulders because he right. just like took millions of dollars <laughs> to make the thing happen. And so he's got to make the thing happen. They got to everybody like, wake up everyone, let's do this thing. Right. And so, um, so there was, there was that aspect of it, which I didn't necessarily, I didn't know what to expect. Um, and then it was combined with, uh, truly like uh, a lot of expertise, market uh, knowledge about competition, about trends, about actual like features and how they work. And, um, you know, he knows Marketo better than anyone. He knows Salesforce functionality. He knows all the things. And so you can get down into really deep level, a conversation about product. So yeah. he really wasn't like a CEO in a traditional sense. So now that they themselves have been acquired by demand base and he's like a chief product officer, I'm like, maybe that's actually a better fit because he really was very product centric. He wanted to know all the, like, Oh, where's the button? What color is the button? What is the thing? And then what happens on the next page? And then, well, that's kind of weird. You swipe left here, but you swipe right here. You know what I mean? Like, he knew all the things and it was infuriating because you had to make sure all the details were right because he would notice all the things that were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. What do you think about that demand-based acquisition? I, uh, I'm, I was honestly bittersweet about it because I know that Engageo on its own terms, you know, um, um, I guess they, you know, they had all this like vision about what an ABM platform would be like and whether it would be Engageo standalone or whether they would themselves acquire other solutions or whether they would build the solutions themselves. Um, So I'm bittersweet about it in the sense that I wish that they could have done it themselves, um, like grew and became a big player in the space. Um, but I am optimistic about it because it's truly a, 
it is a it is a combination of two companies with totally different feature sets in the same space. Yeah. Um, and so they really plug in well together. They like Engageo does things that demand based doesn't and demand based does things that Engageo doesn't. And so it could truly be, if they do it right, it could truly be a really great actual ABM platform that has like, horizontal across the board ABM capabilities that could be very competitive. Um, but they are also so different like as, as solutions that I'm like, gosh, like I don't envy that position <laughs> of trying to bring these totally different technologies and make them work together. That's nuts. Um, but I, but I really hope that they succeed and that they, uh, that they're able to pull it off. Because if they can pull it off, it will be very big deal. Right. In B2B. Yeah, definitely an exciting one. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about Silicon Valley. We've had a few people on who are from there. You kind of moved there from, from Colorado. And you yeah. talked a little bit about some of the differences there. What, what do you think it is about Silicon Valley that makes it uh, this place that builds so many, you know, amazing companies? Yeah, I mean, so much, uh, there's been so much written about this. So I don't know if I can add any more. So I'll share my personal experience. Um, I mean, there's lots of things that make it uh, unique. My personal experience was that it was actually um, a very difficult place to work um, because a lot has changed recently in Silicon Valley um, from before. And I do not think that it has any more special sauce than any other place could have mm -hmm. uh, because, because to a large extent, I think it does have to do with like just the cost of living there is so high. Like moving there was really difficult. Um, it is a huge inconvenience to move there. And it is a huge inconvenience to live there. You really have to want to live there a lot to want to move there. <laughs> and, um, and I think it, that if they could solve that, they would, it would be such an amazing, like, uh, because if it's so expensive to live there, if it's so expensive just to maintain presence, have an office, have employees commute to your office, like, um, you can't be scrappy. Like you're wasting millions of dollars, uh, just on being there. And, uh, so I think it's a bad place to start a company. Mm-hmm. I think what you ought to do is start a company in Colorado or some other, you know, place where you can have a mortgage less than $2,000 a month <laughs> and you can just like be frugal and, and, um, and put your resources into building the company instead of just paying rent. And, um, and then once you get to a certain level where you need a big engineering team or you need really sophisticated, you know, leadership of the, of the engineering team, product team. They just have so many like amazing experienced employees who are ready to work with you. 
Right. Um, but again, you have to pay them so much more because you're there. <laughs> so it's like a really premium location. So if you can raise premium VC money <laughs> and then get a premium team to build your premium product, that's the place for you. Um, but I, I just don't see it for, like for myself personally, uh, I definitely want to build another company. I would, I think I, I definitely have that in me and I will not do it in Silicon Valley. Even though I went there for two years and I worked there, I didn't see or learn anything there that caused me to say, oh, next time I do this, I'm definitely coming back. Right. It's the opposite. I'm going to be like, I'm going to stay away from here as long as I can next <laughs> time I do this. Because especially with Zoom, I think COVID really was a helpful force here because it, I think it really forced a lot of people to uh, discard their preconceived notions of remote work and what's possible with it. And uh, I really hope it, it dissipates some of that pressure on specific locations like Manhattan or San Francisco or other where we just like smush more and more young, talented people together. <laughs> um, maybe we don't have to do that. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, we've always taken kind of a remote first approach um, for both of my companies. And we've never had an office. We're just, we're just about to get an office now, which is kind of the opposite of what everyone else is. Wait, on your website, I've seen all these fancy pictures of people in an office working together. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you know, we are marketers, Green. Got it. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, you know, the same thing. We're, we're a bootstrap company, so we're looking to do things as cost-effectively as we can. And it's amazing when you can hire people no matter where they are. Like mm -hmm. your, your talent pool opens up so much more. I do find in Silicon Valley, there is like a mindset there of just mm -hmm. like positivity and people have seen the success. So they really think yeah. they can do it themselves too. I think that to me, that's like the biggest observation I've made. Um, well, that's what I mean by when you meet someone like John Miller and other people, I mean, there were many other executives and other like high level tech entrepreneur people that I had a chance to meet. But that's the biggest difference that I, is that, that there is this like, con that's what I mean by confidence. It's like, yeah, of course I'm building the next billion dollar company. <laughs> like, obviously, what else would I be doing? Do you know what I mean? And that kind of like, I don't want to say self-delusion. Yeah. But that kind of like attitude and, conf and um, belief system is common. Like that's just part of the culture. And so here, if you're a kid and you're growing up and you go to college, you have to overcome all the self-doubt and all the sort of stuff to, to give yourself permission to do that. Whereas there, it's, that's the default set. Yeah. No. And, um, yeah. So, so it's a, it is a huge benefit. Because um, you're given the permission to fail and try again and fail and try again because that's what we do around here. Uh, you know, we, we build the next great thing. Yeah. 
And that's awesome. And if we can permeate that, maybe it doesn't have to be location centric. Maybe it can be uh, replicated in other places too. Um, Cause it is, it is a mindset. You're yeah. right. It's the mindset that's unique. So why is it location based? <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah, exactly. I think, you know, where I, I, I'm from Ottawa, which is the capital of Canada. So there's a lot of like government jobs here. Mm. And so the, a big mindset, and I think it has to do with how many people share a mindset that's kind of yes. what permeate to others. But, you know, maybe a half of the city works for the government and they're very happy with having one job their whole careers um, and, you know, making a very modest salary. They, they, they love it. So and, you're like a totally weird, like when they meet. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, we, we have always had a pretty big tech sector here as well. We actually have the biggest like technology park in Canada. Okay. Uh, has like a ton of companies and now Shopify as well as uh that's right here. So you know they it, it's not just me, but yeah, the majority of Ottawa is kind of in a much different mindset. But I kinda like that being being different. Did did you have that growing up? Did you have the the mind the tech mindset or did you have the I'm gonna go work for Ottawa and municipal government? I definitely never thought of working for the government. Like both of my parents were entrepreneurs. So I think that oh, helps. Yeah. But I could see if you're in a family where both your parents work for the government, that's, that becomes your mindset that you end up having. Yeah. Um, so a couple more questions, more on the personal side. Uh, what do you do for fun? Well, I have two kids, um, so I do a lot of hangout time with them. So we ride bikes together. I, I try to be a decent dad, you know. I try to be, especially since I work from home. Um, I spend a lot of time with the kids. And then on my own, I have, you know, I love reading. I've been reading a lot, like uh, last year, my topic was white collar crime. So I was all interested in like embezzlement and money laundering and like, how do people do that? You know? <laughs> and uh, it was fascinating. I loved it. Uh, so I'm still, so if you know any recommendations for books like that, they're really great. I love listening to podcasts. Um, so, um, and, uh, and then I, I love to exercise. So I go jogging, I uh, go hiking, mountain biking. Um, back in California, one of the perks of working at a company is that I had a really great gym with like a rooftop pool. Wow. Um, yeah. And it was like year round, you know? <laughs> I was there almost every day. I was just like swimming laps at this pool. Nice. It was perfect. Um, and then uh, now that we're back in Colorado, like we, my wife and I both love... Um, like we have a little tiny homestead, I would say. So we have backyard chickens. Oh, cool. Uh, we have ducks. We have like a, like a, one of those like cats that's supposed to 
look out for mice, but it's just sleeping all the time instead. <laughs> and then recently, uh, we got a, a gecko, a leopard gecko yeah. to take care of. And it just escalated. So you get a gecko and it's like, well, what do you feed it? You feed it like insects. So where do you get the insects? So now we have a cricket farm <laughs> where wow. we, try, we attempt to grow crickets. I'm also trying to grow um, these uh, caterpillars that turn into moths. Um, so in my office, I have crickets and a moth and some um, uh, caterpillar eggs, which are hopefully going to hatch in about a week, and actual uh, caterpillars that just cocooned to turn into a moth. You have a full-on zoo going on over there. I have, I exactly. business. <laughs> well, and, and, a, and a farm. So we have, like, not a farm, but a garden. So we do a lot of, uh, like, organic gardening. Um, Nice. And so I'm always busy hanging out with kids, gardening, trying to figure out how to feed this gecko <laughs> and Googling, what do crickets eat? We're going to see a documentary about you, about Grant Exotic one day, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> uh, who is uh, who's one person... Uh, in the business community that you admire and why? Um, that's a really good question. You should have given that to me in advance. Um, business community. Um, You're gonna have to cut this part out because <laughs> I you stumped me. I actually don't think about it like that. I don't think about um, business leaders uh, very much at all. Actually, that's that's interesting to realize that um, I do a lot of uh, on the uh, aside from work. I also try to do a lot of volunteering for political campaigns. Okay. And so I read and I, and I pay attention to a lot more uh, government leaders and like politicians and uh, getting involved in that whole world aside from uh, business. And so I, I admire people who follow their passion, who stand up for what they believe in and, um, and, try, to do, and try to do the right thing. And so... Without you know, I don't want to get political here, but I think that's what I admire. Um, and whether that's a business person, I think. Oh, in terms of business, probably the person who I admire the most are the are the people who started uh, uh, Basecamp. Okay. Yeah. 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 So those guys, uh, J Jason, I forget his last name. Fried and Ned. Yeah, they've have they've written awesome books about remote work culture, about rework, uh, about how they hate meetings, how to have asynchronous communication. Um, they just did a new email tool, which I haven't tried, but <coughs> hey.com. Hey. Yeah. And so I like those guys a lot because they, to me, are an example of a company that's, that's private. That is, uh, that I was bootstrapped uh, also from consulting at some point and, and is not under the pressure 
that a lot of VC-backed software companies are in you know their size. So in, instead of taking trying to take VC money and then blowing up and then selling as a model, they're like, no, 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 we're gonna go kind of a sustainable software forever. We're just growing organically model. And uh, and I think if I had to redo everything all over again with a new company, I would try to make that go as long as I can um, and, and follow that model instead of following the Silicon Valley, like I need to raise as much money as I can so I can grow and exit as quickly as I can so I can go and retire in Italy as quickly as I can. <laughs> you know, like I, I am not as interested in um, that, that play than a uh, sustainable, you're a dad, you have a job, you built a company, it's a small team, and you answer to no one. Yeah, that's always been kind of our hesitation about taking funding is like, you know, I, I think inevitably it changes your culture and how you run the business. And yeah, we're, we're not really building the company to sell it. We, we're having a ton of fun with what we're doing and we're growing with our customers, you know, which, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I also really respect that model. Uh, one last question here, Grant. Um, you know, you've had a very interesting career already. What, uh, what's one piece of career advice that you would share with others uh, that might help, help other people? Um, I'll do like a high-level one and a low-level, like a tactical one, okay? Yeah. So high-level advice is this idea of... Um, give first i'll come back i'll return to that idea which is that when you follow your curiosity and when you follow what you think you're maybe interested in don't think how can i get this or that how could i get a job how can i think about how can i help make something better help make somebody else's life better whether that's could be as simple as like organizing a meetup around this topic so you could learn more uh learning something and like publishing it on a blog post so it can help others. Uh, There are many different examples of how to give first. And what I've learned is that when you give first, you receive back magnitudes more from people you don't know, who you've never met, who are much more creative than you are, who then wanna help you in return. It's really strange. Uh, That's been my experience. And so I blindly give first all the time. And the second one would be to do informational interviews. I am a huge proponent of this idea of informational interviews. If you don't know what it is, you should Google informational interviews and you'll get like a ton of resources. But basically the way it works is uh, you as a person are allowed to contact another person who you don't know and ask them about what they do for a job. (laughs) Without asking for a job, without asking for anything, you just wanna learn. it's been incredibly influential in my life. At some point, I thought maybe I will be a lawyer. And so instead of going to law school, I instead you know, went online, found some lawyers. They're easy to find. Their face and phone numbers are right there. 
So I would call them or email them and say, hey, I'm this guy. I'm thinking about going to law school. Can I talk to you about being a lawyer first? And they would all, they all said yes. And they would like take me out to lunch and they would say, like one time this, uh, they took me out to lunch and they're like, Grant, I'm going to pay. I'm a corporate lawyer. You are not. So don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> and so they, sometimes they pay you for, uh, and then they, they just told me about what it's like day to day. And I learned that I do not want to be a lawyer. I did the same thing with banking. I thought maybe I should be a, like a corporate banker. So I went to my local branch bank and I was like, do you guys have a banker I could talk to about being a banker? And they did. They gave like the manager came and she talked to me and then she, she introduced me to the, to like the corporate banker, her manager. And then her manager introduced me to their international banking manager who lived in like Amsterdam. So we had a Skype call. It was amazing. Like, I'm just a person who walked off off the street and these people are like telling me about their career and their job and what they do. And, um, and I learned that I do not want to be a banker. Uh, I don't, I'm, that wasn't for me. And so it's like a really underutilized tool. You should just reach out to people and learn about them and uh, bonus points if you can give first and then they'll, they yeah. will, uh, they will reciprocate. Yeah, no, that's amazing advice. And I think like anyone, you know, so many people pick a degree in, in college or university without knowing anything about what that job is actually going to be. And having a lunch with someone or walking into a local branch could really change their lives, right? So. Yeah, you'll be like, oh my God, I've made a terrible mistake. <laughs> Yeah, save them four four to ten years of their life from a conversation like that. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Grant, this has been a super interesting conversation. Learning about your journey, uh, starting your own company, selling it, working at you know one of the hottest startups out there and now uh, starting your new venture. So we look forward to seeing what comes from that. And uh, thanks again for being on today. Hey, thanks so much. I had so much fun. Yeah, likewise. Have a good one. Thanks for listening to Unsubscribed, a podcast created by Knack. If you enjoyed this episode of Unsubscribed, be sure to subscribe to my podcast and leave a review on your favorite podcast player. If you have any feedback or want to chat, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or follow me on Twitter at marketing underscore 101. Cheers.